welcome everybody to The Spoken Nerd, the podcast about database technology. I'm your host, Connor McDonald, and in this episode, I continue my conversation with Nigel Bayless. Nigel is the Optimizer Product Manager, and at the end of the last episode, we were discussing the fact that emotions can often run high when dealing with Optimizer plans that used to be running fine and have since gone south. I suppose, Nigel, that emotional response is somewhat understandable given that many DBAs, their job performance and their systems are very much rated on the ability for those systems to remain consistent in terms of their performance. Yeah, very much so. You know, I can see, you know, if you're a database administrator, you've got the system running well and it's a critical business system. And now tomorrow, for no apparent reason, for no no reason that you're aware of, it's suddenly taking you know 30 percent longer then you've got the business on your back straight away haven't you and that's tough that's that's difficult you know i must admit i do going back to the developed dba days i i struggled with it very much because for 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 a while i worked as a development dba so i was supporting a lot of developers and i kind of looked after the database for them and it was it the job was hell because if anything broke on the database it was tools down (laughs) everyone would sit there (laughs) And I have to say, they didn't hide the fact they were now having a great day. <laughs> and of course, it was my worst day. <laughs> so that was that was always entertaining. But yeah, job of a, a DVA is, is I respect the job because it can be quite difficult to say the least. Yeah, it's a tough job. Although conversely, I'll share with you a funny story from many years ago that Carrie Millsap passed on to me in terms of job remuneration being linked to database performance. Back in the day when the buffer cache hit ratio was the thing, when we were discussing about how this was a nonsense just to solely focus on that, just for giggles, I wrote a routine there. You could, you'd simply type in whatever buffer cache hit ratio you wanted and it would simply burn away through a small index structure until, until you hit it. And, um, and it was just, yeah, to, to prove the point that while every metric is useful, it can't be the sole thing that you you focus on. Carrie then contacted me later. He said that he actually worked with someone whose job remuneration was linked to the database average hit ratio. So he was really? thrilled. He was thrilled that I'd written this utility because he was planning on deploying it on all these databases just to get himself That's incredible. a nice boost in salary. So I'd actually forgotten that. Yeah, that cash hit thing. I just, yeah, that's true, isn't it? I mean, I I made a mini career for a little while of uh, going to customers and saying you need to make temp space bigger. <laughs> that was the that was my cure all. It was like magic. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was strange. You know, I have to admit these old these old tales do tell. At least they reinforce, I think, to us that we've come a long way as database professionals from the from the good old days. Yeah. So if the optimizer can never be perfect, and we should accept that, I suppose. Moving on to particular pieces of technology, SQL plan management almost seems like the ideal fit in that kind of paradigm. If, if you can't get everything right all the time because it's impossible, SQL plan management seems to have that, what's the best way of describing it? It, it almost a, a mantra of you get to keep the good, you get to stop the bad, and you get to automatically find when you might have something better. Yeah. So SQL plan management sounds like the dream solution to me. But, and maybe it's just me, and maybe it's just my, the customers I've dealt with in Australia. I've found the take-up of SPM very, very low. Yep. You, you see people using hints, you see people using profiles and outlines, but even, even the knowledge base around what it tends to offer and the terminologies like evolve and accept and baseline, et cetera. Most DBAs I encounter, 
when they're talking about that topic, it's always from a topic of what on earth are these things called baselines that I see appearing in my execution plans? You know, like base, this mm-hmm. baseline was used, et cetera. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Why, why is SPM, the take-up seems low? Because it does seem such a good fit. Right. I, I was actually investigating this uh, as well recently. And in fact, the take-up's grown quite a lot because it used to be, I don't know, one in 10, a little bit lower, something like that. Now it, it's getting on for double that. So it's grown quite a lot. Um, but I think DBAs quite often think that it's impractical to capture because it's SPM, if you use it in a sort of strategic mode, you need to capture everything you have, essentially. You need to sort of say, capture a baseline, if you like, of all the, the SQL that you have today. And I think quite often that's rejected as a viable approach for particularly for larger systems and, and I have some sympathy with that of course it, it, it's quite hard what do I capture when do I capture it and you know if you've got you know new modules being new code being delivered on the database all the time you need to build into your operational procedures a way of getting that uh, captured for example. So I think it's seen as quite a big task. There's a lot of databases out there that use uh, dynamic SQL a lot, you know, or literal values rather than bind values. You see quite a bit of that, which SPM doesn't deal with at the moment. So I think that's one of the things. So I think it's seen as a, a difficult thing to use strategically across everything, I think. And I think when that happens, sometimes you do still see cases where the plan is not again right all the time so there are you know you can have cases where the plan is not honored straight away for example it's a long story really but it's possible that they're not going to see zero regressions even if it's across their whole database particularly if things like the schema changes so i think it's those kinds of reasons but i think recently we've moved to using spm more of a tactical uh, tool that that holds plans that are problematic or it looks for plans that are problematic and it holds those steady. So it's a more tactical approach, a more reactive approach, if I'm honest. So in other words, it's not there sort of fixing everything across the board and saying, I want to keep it like this unless it's proven to be better. It's more of a mode. We see an issue here, use SPM to resolve it. So I think we've tended to use it more like that laterally. And I think that's seen as easier and more practical because you're not capturing everything then or you can capture most of your workload now and then you fix the problematic queries as you encounter them so i think used by that it's i think there's been more take up and certainly now when i speak to people that's how they use it more in that sort of reactive mode rather than the sort of let's build baselines across all of our sql which i think is seen as difficult to do in in a lot of systems i think that's what it might be and i suppose that reactive mechanism is is perhaps closer back tying to the emotional thing of people just don't want a forest fire yeah that they'll as, yeah. as long as things are consistent it doesn't have to be perfect but they just don't want a catastrophe they want to be able yeah. to guard against that in, in in some way yeah i mean i i do remember you know certainly when i started this job wondering why spm wasn't taken up so much but i think my impression i get is that's changed and certainly the stats back that up that there's now a lot it's used a lot more now than it used to be so over the past two, three years, maybe it's, it's uptake has gone up. And that may be partially driven, of course, by people upgrading to say 19C. I, I'm sure it's partly to do with that. So it's not as simple as me saying, oh, no, everybody understands it now. But I, it is a topic that I always do try to bring up. And a lot of my blog posts are directed towards SPM and how to use it 
I have a set that I'm writing at the moment, which are really like a cheat sheet, which give you the sort of just do this, do this. You know, if you've got this, then do this. So just keep it very simple because, you know, if you start attempting to explain how it all works, you rapidly have a spiral of people thinking, well, I don't understand that. Or how does that work? And how does that work? It, it can be used very straightforwardly. I have to admit, I, not that I want to be crapping on our own products. That's generally not a good way to keep the podcast running successfully. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I've always found that initially I thought it was too complex to get my head around. Right. I'm not claiming to be an optimizer expert, but certainly I felt I've been a DBA for many, many years. I should yeah. be able to get my head around this easy. And just the terminologies of evolve and, and stuff like that. Because I, I remember when I first had to really tackle SPM in, in, in anger, I actually wrote wrappers around the top of it. You know, literally with simple routines like keep this plan the same. Yeah. Don't, don't let this plan be used. Yeah. And, yes. and they just made the appropriate calls down into you know the various DBMS routines. Yeah. So do you do you think it is too complex to, to understand? The uh, or is that just me being an idiot? What I think actually is that if a DBA is faced with the idea that they should capture all of their SQL at SQL plan baselines and then sort of manage process of if you know or, or looking after that however how, whatever that means because in theory a lot you know it's mainly automated well it is automated but i think if they're faced with that they think that's a big step for me to take particularly on a production system whereas i tend to promote the start reactively with it get it to prove its benefit to you and get familiar with using it and my feeling then is if you you enter through that sort of thin end of the wedge, if you like, or start at that thin end of the wedge, it helps you to understand it really realistically. It enables you to understand it because you, being faced with this all or nothing thing that you turn on is scary. And I would I would also be somewhat worried about doing that and think, how on earth am I going to manage manage this behemoth that I'm unleashing? Whereas I've always found I started with the small, use it, use it, use it on, on all the little things, the little edge cases, the little things I want to fix. And gradually you get, you think, actually, this is not, it isn't, it isn't difficult. It isn't really inherently difficult. So I think you just have to start small and play with it and learn it and get it to prove its value. That's what I've always said. If you're not, not convinced that it's good for you, then do, use it like this, use it tactically on these problem areas and uh, get it to prove that it helps you because it does you know it really does uh, i i must say i appreciate the fact that i handed you the opportunity on the plate there to go no connor it's because you're an idiot and you steered clear of it so i, no. I, I appreciate yeah that. <laughs> uh, yeah actually you know that's part of my character over the years right i've learned not to judge anybody because <laughs> you know i i tell you why it's because I look back on my career and see all the things I've got wrong in IT. And, and you know, <laughs> the reason is quite often you are led there by, by, by events and th you make decisions and choices that are right at the time. But in retrospect, you see that you didn't know X or Y or Z. You didn't know this thing was going to happen that's happened in the future now. And that's, uh, it burns you. So I find it's best not to judge Connor. <laughs> <laughs> especially me <laughs> because yeah you know it is littered with things that you've got wrong i think if you're honest you know that's I, for most people i would say just on my last thing on spm before we move on 
I know we've got facilities now where SPM can insert itself into what used to be a traditionally a DBA task in terms of I've got an SQL, which I know is bad. I found a new plan, which I think is better, and I'm going to switch over. I mean, now, you know, conventionally, it used to be the case that DBA would do that. They'd do it via hints or via profiles or outlines, but SPM, and you can do it with SPM, but like, obviously, now we've got the facilities where SPM can undertake that role of itself and in its own time go, yep, you know, we should flip things over. Yeah. Given your your comments on things being reactive, has there been a lot of take up on that? Is, is it proving popular or, or are people scared? Well, I think people are using it, but don't realize because it's on by default, you know, in autonomous data, in autonomous database. So it's something that just happens in the background. So the take up is there by default, if you like. So it's moved into that mode. As for people outside autonomous, I've not been exposed to really that many opinions on on using it, say on Exadata, because it's obviously it's available there as well. But I've had no one say to me, or you know, this is good, bad, or or what have you. I've not encountered that yet. But it's used, and um, yeah, it's out there. It's out there already, and uh, I've posted as well how it's possible to use some of the enhancements we created with SPM to do that yourself. It, it doesn't, auto, or on, on a non-autonomous system, it can't say, I found this regression for you. It doesn't do that part of the process, but it can at least, you can say, I found this regression. What can you do about it, SPM? And it is now in a position to be able to sort that out for you without you having to do anything more. And I think that is pretty amazing i mean it's that, that to me is what you want as a dba so that's out there now you know so and that's pretty close to the the exact task of investigating a problem sql that dbas often i suppose are most yeah. most verbose about when they're complaining about the optimizer it's like you know, yeah that's I, right and and I, I mean i understand that you know you do have cases out there where things are queries are ad hoc and that's more difficult to deal with nowadays you see queries that are multi-thousands of lines long generated by a machine and we still have to come up with a good plan and you can't say to the customer just create a baseline for that you know it's not gonna it's not going to work because it's different every single time it's executed. So it, it's not it's not a panacea, but uh, it gets us a long way there. It is difficult sometimes with the sort of literal values used in queries. And that gives me physical pain to see that. But there we are. That's that's what it is. I'm glad you mentioned the automatic SPM in autonomous, simply because we had a and A session for my office hours just before Christmas, and one of the questions that actually got a, a fair bit of traction was someone said. What's happening with autonomous? Because yes, we've got automatic indexes, but that's the only kind of autonomy I've ever seen in it. You know, there, there's nothing else. I took great delight in pointing out the fact that we've now got the automatic materialized views, the automatic partitioning. You know, they, these are opportunities that are out there for people as well as automatic indexes. Plus the fact that you know, you're very rarely logging onto your autonomous database and discovering that like my own autonomous database, you know, I log on last month, it was 1912, now it's 1914. These things just happen, for lack of a better term, autonomously. So I'm glad that we can also now throw auto SPM into the mix and actually tell people it's it's not marketing fiction. It actually genuinely is heading in that more and more autonomous direction, which I think is a good thing. In terms of SPM being used reactively, so the less SPM we use, the more it probably means the optimizer is generally doing a good job, like the, the less SQL plan management involved, it probably means the optimizer is getting things right the first time, more often than not. In terms of pushing that envelope further to trying to get the optimizer better and better and better, 
as we said, we said an infinite number of stats is not really practical. Where do you think we currently are? Do you, do you think we need to have more stats just, or do we need more different types of stats? Or I know, for example, in 12, we went from 254 histograms to 2,000 if people wanted it, which I, I don't know, I'm, I'm still dubious on that decision, but I, these sort of incremental changes where we start adding, or then you get things like extended stats or correlation between columns, etc. Do you think there's this scope for more different types of stats, or do you think we've sort of almost reached the end game? Or what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, there's scope for more. Yeah, there are. Yeah, definitely. There are, there are certain cases that are difficult right now with the stats that we have, so I think there is scope for more. And that's something we're always looking at, actually. So it is something that would always be on the cards, I would say, is can we use stats to solve these particular problems? So I think that's always possible. And it, I, I, we're not at the end of the road with stats right now. With, there's still more to go. So, yeah, I think there's more. Well, there is more, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, along a similar vein, there's always been that age-old problem of the moment you gather your stats, they're out of date. But by definition, unless you have a read-only system, and I know we've got the real-time stats. Given that they're, I suppose, not in active use for many customers, because um, there are only is it engineered systems only for real-time stats. Yeah, you've got you've got it in autonomous database mm -hmm. and uh, on Exadata. Yes. Do you think that is 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 that the long-term solution? Do you think the database will actually start? Suppose could we get to a point where we don't actually gather stats anymore? then we're actually effectively, we switch almost to a real-time mode totally. Right. Or is that just, do you think, asking too much of the laws of physics? That's a hard one. Um, I, I'm not really sure. I, I think we have to see, we've got these avenues open to us, but I think the, the jury's going to be out until we, we see if there are issues with it or where it works well or where it doesn't work well. You know, I guess that's always, always going to be the case. You know, real-time stats is, is very good for this sort of boundary condition problem where you know the stats lag your your value that you're seeking you know if you've got a high you know high insert rate and you're constantly looking forward in time and that the stats don't keep up so real time is very good for that so I, I the way i see it is that we have a lot of I, i've always called it the oracle get out of jail free card which is basically Oracle has lots of tricks up its sleeve that deal with particular problems that you've now encountered. And I've always been fairly keen, I guess, on, on that. It's, it's one of the great things about Oracle that I like more than pretty much anything else is that there's always a trick somewhere that gets you out of trouble. And I think with all of these things, they have generally different domains in which they work best, I suspect. You know, I think that's always the case. Now, in fact, with Autonomous, we are designing things to always work for anything. And, and, you know, that's really our goal so that you never really have to think about this sort of domain fitting thing where you say, I'll, I'll use this in this circumstance and that and the other. So that's where, you know, enhancement goes into the product all the time. So it's real time stats. We also have high frequency stats that is on by default. And that, that's in fact on by default in autonomous database. So we're gathering stats more frequently. So I think the way I see it is that will solve most people's issues on that on that type of scenario, I think, where you want stats to be more up to date. And then you've got cases where real time is required because of these sort of, you know, these out of range style issues that, uh, that because their insert rates are so high. So I see it probably like that, which is going to win? What is the future? 
I don't, I've never been able to predict the future, Connor. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I was the person who stood up in the bar in the 90s and said, oh, in a few years, U Unix will be out of fashion. You know, VMS is so much better. <laughs> you know, I, the future, can I, I can't, can anyone predict the future? I, I don't know. It depends where workloads take us, you know, what, how workloads going to evolve over time, you know, as machines get more complicated, more powerful, I should say. It's like every two years, someone tells me, you do know that relational database technology is dead, don't you? <laughs> I go, okay, no, okay. Come yeah, I am definitely allowed to laugh at that one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't believe that at all. That's one thing. Now, this has come from, from someone who said Unix would be dead soon. So don't, you know, but anyway, I'm going to now invoke some degree of credibility here. And say, <laughs> no, no, it's relational databases are fantastic. As we, we've touched on that, there's a lot of cool stuff that's happening automatically for you on Autonomous. And I'm not going to try to turn this podcast into a pitch for this is why autonomous is a pretty cool thing if you're not into tinkering as much and you're not don't have DBAs on site, etc. But I don't want to get into a point where people are going, well, I'm done with this podcast episode because they're just talking autonomous and we're not an autonomous and we won't ever be, etc. So right. bringing back to those people running, I, I won't just say on premises, those people running their own database because they might be running right. it on our cloud, but they're still taking that level of control in it. To come into the collection of stats, I want to talk about the, some of the best practices for collecting stats. And, and flipping back to the history, we, we started off with the good old member days of Analyze. Analyze was the, yeah, the way, the way true, to gather yeah. stats. And then we yeah, yeah, yeah. went to DBMS stats. And then there was that, what I still think is a terrible disaster where we went from 10G, where we had a, a gather stats job that you knew was sit, which was sitting on the scheduler to 11G right. when the, the job was still there, but marked as disabled. But then there was this thing called automatic tasks in 11G, which had no documentation. And by the way, that's when that's where your stats are being gathered. Um, I like you call it a terrible disaster. Oh, I was, I was, the, the amount of places I've worked where oh, they'd seen yeah. that the gather stats job in the scheduler had been disabled. And so of course they enabled it because I thought there'd been some problem right. due to the upgrade. Shania had two sets of gather stats running every single day. No one knew where the second one was because the, uh, the auto task views weren't documented by then. So, but I, I should say in, in Oracle's defense, because given that we work for the place, <laughs> um, 11G also saw us go from the very slow sampling to the one pass number right. of distinct thing, which was, I think is just, that's a real watershed moment for stats. Yeah, it's a lovely bit of applied maths, that, isn't it? It's fantastic. Yeah. And I've, I've heard you on record before saying that now that we're into this sort of 12C kind of onwards era, that the best the best thing you can ever do for stats is just leave everything to def pretty much the defaults. Yeah. Is that the advice for right. everyone or, or are there right, okay. cases? I'm or? Just gonna, right, let me see if I can summarize the way I think about this. Okay, so we are designing. So what we try to do is to make the defaults the the best for most customers. So they're perhaps like a ninety nine percent solution for ninety percent of customers. That kind of thing that you bandy around. So it's something that that you should use and make use of and make use of the defaults. And then I've always said, if you have a reason to venture from that, then you should know what you're doing. That's the answer, really. And so. I don't know. I think quite often customers want to know what best practice is for something. And I'm not even sure that that exists when you've got a relational database that can do so many different things. So diverse. Yeah. Just think about what we throw at Oracle. Just think what it can do at, just for a moment. And then 
for me, it's unreasonable to say what is best practice <laughs> for, for doing X or Y. And of course, if you ask me, I'm on the side of development and our role in life and our, the opinion we carry is that we solve all your problems without you having to do anything at all. That's what we're aiming for. So that's what the optimizer is for. Now, the question then for you is, is that realistic? Because there's obviously, there is a, a the middle ground that exists here, which is the zone of, I don't want to say common sense, but use your brain about how you best should do this. I have general rules about what you should do, which are make sure your stats are kept up to date. You have to, fixing it doesn't work. And then if you are going to change something, do make sure you know what you're doing and why you're changing it. And then use preferences. For example, if you know a, a particular table needs to be treated differently, then set a preference to say that. So declare how the table is different. I don't know, maybe you want specific histograms on that table. Well, set that preference on that table. And then the poor person that comes along and writes gather stats, gather schema stats is not going to make a mistake because that's all they need to type now. And then the different tables are handled how they should be handled. I think the rules change if you've got a very large critical partition table that sits in, you know, that sits there and you're loading with partition exchange and things like that. Then I think you have to gather stats as part of the process of managing it sometimes. And that's the same with maintenance jobs, you know, create this object, create that object, create this object, merge these two together, run a query on this. How's auto going to solve that problem? You need to presumably build the gather into your workflow and and certainly I'm, I'm a big fan of that last thing you mentioned there in terms of i'm always blown away by the amount of information that the developer often has at their fingertips when they're writing such programs is that classic thing where i'm inserting a million rows into a billion row table at the end of every insert let's say they're writing it in peel sql they've got sql percent row count they literally know exactly how many rows they've added you know you don't have to say ah. Oh, Let's, let's throw away all our stats because I've got to regather stats on my billion row table. I feel like right. in this particular niche case, you know, you know what the number of rows in the table is now because you just added them. Yeah, like you know you added a million rows to this table. You could simply bump that up. Obviously, the column level stats and et cetera get a little bit interesting. But it's, it's funny how there are so many programs when you, get to, again, when you get to large systems in partitioning where you almost know the stats changes yourself as the developer. And yet you, you'll then either do nothing and say, well, the stats are out of date, or you'll then start complaining because, oh, it takes eight hours to gather the stats because I'm regathering the stats for the entire object. So that's where I thought our synopsis stuff was pretty cool when that came in. The changes we made to synopsis uh, in 12.2 were very nice, where we kind of leveraged that maths we were talking about earlier, where we can calculate NDV using an algorithm. So we don't have to gather all the values and sort them and, and take a lot of time over gathering stats on those large objects. So, and also we gather stats on individual partitions those numbers get rolled up to the global level. So everything's maintained. So incrementals got brilliant because primarily when in 12.2, where we changed this synopsis format, it's now a lot smaller. So it doesn't take much in the way of sysorg space and things like partition management operations become a lot faster because we're having to manage less data when we move things around. So it has a lot of knock-on effects that, you know, give you a lot of benefit. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I must admit, I am 
slightly horrified by the idea of of manually setting stats so i'm going to hold fire on that one and say <laughs> that's that's you've got to really know what you're doing to do that and and i must admit i sometimes worry that i don't want to make developers lives more complicated if it can be avoided i guess and i don't know it depends on who you are to some extent but it makes me worry to say to a developer it this is a good idea to start tinkering with this because in my experience that's usually a slippery slope where ultimately they'll they'll set everything and and think that's that gives the perception that it's somehow complicated and difficult and one of my i suppose one of my grouches is that often i've you hear stats takes a long time to gather but i really think that that's hardly ever been my experience when i've used them particularly on modern systems now it, it gathers so quickly so even with my vldbb background i found it pretty easy to navigate around but that's that is, I, i'm going to admit now that's a gross generalization but stats can be made fast you know there are things that you can do to make stats gathering fast so again that's something that i put on the blog post to talk about that and why sometimes stats gathering is perceived as slow when you're not really throwing any resources at it so it's bound to be slow but you can resolve those kind of problems so yeah i must admit the setting and we provide an api yes to set number of values and all of that so in theory we are providing it with a, a, it's a credible thing to use that's for sure but i don't know it, it um, worries me a little bit uh, that sort of thing because as you say you have to get indexed that's right you don't want the numbers contradicting each other that's what worries me because you've got to get the columns right as well column stats table stats index stack all have to be in a line and not contradict one another because goodness knows what will happen to the mass if they do if they do contradict one another so hopefully listeners that's proof that a podcast is about discussion it's not just marginal and i agreeing on all points it's always good to have a variety of views to help you the listener make up your own minds and exploit the optimizer features on your own systems depending on your particular circumstances in the next episode nigel and i will continue having our conversation this time on perhaps the next biggest fear point for DBAs when it comes to the optimizer, and that is what things will change when they do an upgrade. Thanks for listening to this podcast. The music credit goes to Zanman from Pixabay Music.